long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Dark times were ahead for the Bards. May the 4th was fast approaching, and only two of them had any interest in Star Wars. Joined by podcast alumnus Steven, and their game master for this session, Larry, Will and Ian explore the edge of the Empire. Will they be able to record a podcast episode without Chris and Brooke? Will Ian get tired of his voice? He will. Welcome to Dancing with the Bards. We have an unusual episode today. The parts of Brooke and Chris will be played by our Stephen. Hello. And Larry. Hello. Our game today is called Edge of the Empire, a Star Wars Legends role-playing game set in between episodes 4 and 5. This game was published in 2013 by Fantasy Flight Games and is one of three standalone games that explore the Star Wars universe. With that, let's get started. So for uh, number of players, 4 to 6, my favorite number number of players for a tabletop game. It does seem pretty standard, and it, it does go well. It lends itself to having about three to five active players in a session along with a game master. I would agree with that. I think that as far as uh, tabletop games go, it is a very standard number. It's a very comfortable number. I think it's a lot of groups that get together kind of anticipate that kind of thing. I was asked on uh, Twitter a couple days ago my favorite, uh, my ideal number for a group for D&D, and usually that applies to most role-playing games. I said five, and this is that, that sweet spot. After you get like seven or eight, it just becomes way too much, and two and three is... Sad. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. I, I mean, I personally like large groups. I, I prefer between six and seven players. Um, it, it just it allows for a, a lot more... Um, uh, group interactivity. Individual players can split off more often and, and do um, side things, but that that's not for everybody, and I can completely understand that. To a certain extent, it is what the ex- uh, what the expectations of the people in the group are, and you know what they're looking to get out of it. So, uh, yeah, I suppose you could be more flexible with it. I personally think that uh, I'm kind of an Ian's camp on this one with it. But uh, I don't know what the rest of you gave it. I ended up giving it a two for number of players. And again, well, I think that that's a comfortable number of players. It's kind of the standard. So I wouldn't be giving it a three unless it were better than standard, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I, I ended up giving it a two as well for the above reasons. I mean, I ended up leaning into the three in regards to that just because it is, it's a very standard uniform number. It doesn't really require any sort of extra people that wouldn't normally be part of your group, and it's it's a good enough number that for most role-playing groups, everyone can be included. Yeah, that's a three for me as well. I, I As I said, it's my sweet spot. Four to six is right there in five, so <laughs> ideal number. And uh, as far as accessibility, uh, you can buy this game on their website. If you want to go for a beginner's kit, which includes uh, a small rulebook, standard adventure, uh, a set of dice, it's about $30. Uh, the core rulebook, if you want to kind of make your own ventures, 60 And uh, they have other stuff, too. Now, now, looking at it from accessibility, I don't come from at these things from a perspective that some people have, where they are in a group of people that typically have trouble accessing these things. But, uh, no, just looking at it, I think that the size of the rulebook and the amount of printed material is going to be a big turnoff for people for whom reading is an issue. That's kind of a general criticism of a lot of TTRPGs, though, so it's not necessarily specific to this one. 
It does, the rulebook does have some visuals to help support the comprehension, but not nearly enough to make a huge difference. I personally actually rated it pretty low in terms of accessibility just because of the amount that, if if you're a group that has been playing it for a while, it is, it's a very smooth operating game, but when you're first coming into it, it can be very, very daunting. There's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of different factors. I mean, even when we played ourselves today, we ended up cutting one or two of the uh, the factors of gameplay from it, just so this way we can condense it and it wouldn't be too overwhelming for new players. And I, I think on that topic, uh, just the fact that you're able to so easily remove uh, uh, elements of gameplay, that was one of the reasons I was a- I was able to give it a couple uh, an extra point there. I feel like if if you're able to remove specific elements of gameplay that aren't necessarily detrimental to the ultimate story being told or the the potential challenge that the players might feel, I don't necessarily think that's a detriment. It's 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 just like Monopoly. You know, the more skilled you you become with the game, the more rules you can add and you you can play around with different house rules and that that sort of stuff. Um I, I think that's personally a good thing, and I, I ended up rating it a two because of that. Yeah, I also agree with the fact that it's not just about how easy it is to get; it is also about you know how hard it is to read. I, I gave it a two as well because while it is, as I said, it is easy to get, it's not easy to get if you know what I mean. My experience, it's kind of up there with most TTRPGs of its scope, so it's hasn't really done anything to really improve on the formula doesn't do anything particularly bad, although we're going to talk about the dice. I think that's more of a materials <laughs> discussion. But uh, in terms of accessibility, the one feature of the dice are their colors, and I will note the sheet right here specifically calls out colorblindness as no an issue. I'm not certain uh, if the brightly colored dice would be easy to confuse for somebody who doesn't see colors the same as we do. I, I will say I, I am colorblind myself, and I mean, we were using we were using an app, so I, I can't speak for the the dice provided themselves, um, but really, once I was I was able to get past that, it was it was two just two basic shapes, and it was of of two separate color types. It was not very difficult. Um, that being said, I I have uh, red green color blindness. Um, somebody with with a, a different form of color blindness might not. It, you know, fare so well. Um, but it, it wasn't too, too bad. And it's not like it's constantly referenced in the rule books, um, unless it is. No, it, it really isn't. And that also brings up a fact, too, when it comes down to the rule book and the dice in the rule book. As a fair warning, they only show a picture of the die. So there are two D6s, two D8s, a D12, and a D20. So with that, when one D6 is white and one D6 is black, yeah, there's a stark difference, but it could still be an issue. There's also a D4, right? No, no that's no, still I, a D8. Oh, I was looking at the picture. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they looked like D4s. I'll admit. It's yeah. just the triangle is the one face of the die. Yeah, they just cut yeah. off the rest of the but, die. Now, green versus purple, yellow versus red, white versus black, blue versus also black i don't know yeah yeah it'd still be paired up with black (laughs) thankfully they have different symbols on the sides and i I think that's a big saving grace is is they are customized and unique symbols it's not 
tied to a specific color of a die, you could get, you know, monochromatic dice made that are just the symbols, and they would function the same way. I mean, now, since, since we're on the topic, let's just switch over to material and I was we'll about, go back to comprehension. Yeah. Honestly, I thought that would be a really good lead-in to comprehension, because it's one point you could bring up to that. As these are symbols invented for the game. They're something that you have to learn specific for this game. And that, I think, is a hit to comprehension. And I completely agree. I, I think the dice are one of the biggest turnoffs. I, I, I think three or four times throughout the campaign, I had to ask if how the dice worked the same time, like for the same set of skills. Um, I maybe if I had physical dice, I could I could associate it better. But I, I gotta be honest, it was a little confusing. Am I am I you know doing the the green triangles or am I doing the the yellow pentagrams for these and I, I ultimately was just like, what dice do I roll? Tell me, Mr. Game Master. <laughs> I mean, I do and I don't like the dice system. It's always been one of my favorite features and one of my least favorite features about the game. Because it's it's a very different idea. I mean, one of my biggest turnoffs of D&D is the fact that it runs on a uh, multi-dice D20 system. And it's always been a huge turnoff for me because of all of the different dice you need to have. Now, while this has the same thing, it feels like these dice serve a better purpose. And once you're able to start associating the symbols with said dice, it becomes a lot easier to understand. So I actually ended up giving it a 2 in comprehension because of that. Now, I will agree with uh, Larry's estimation of the dice. One of the things that I find most... Uh, now, granted, I'm a math teacher, but if you look at the D&D dice system, a 1 and a 20 are equally likely, and just as likely as any other result on a d20. So the randomization as a flat thing has always kind of bothered me in D&D. Just, like, it feels like there shouldn't be that much variability. Your, uh, more often than not, your results should be kind of average, and with very unlikely and very likely things happening much more rarely. Uh, so this dice system works a little bit more off of a success type system, which you find in a lot of the Black Wolves games, and where, you, where you're rolling multiple dice and then looking for successes, failures, etc. That's essentially the core of the dice system. And I prefer that type of dice system to the, uh, you know, the normal numeric system. I do like it from that perspective, kind of what you're bringing up yeah. there. And I agree that once you get into it, it's very easy to go. It's and uh, in terms of the dice having a purpose, I would agree with that as well, because you don't need to know, like, this weapon does this damage die kind of thing, or you're never going to use a d4 unless you're doing this one specific thing, that they're always being used. They always have a purpose, and they come up in just about every check. Yeah. Uh, but kind of veering from the dice a little bit, I know that uh, and this is maybe information that's five-plus years old at this point, but I remember when I was actually reading the book, the certain core concepts of the game, I, I'll just pull out skills for that matter, weren't clearly explained. I don't think that they were totally clear on exactly what certain skills did or when exactly you were supposed to use them instead of another skill. And that was one thing that I, as kind of a rules lawyer, found as a bit of a turnoff, where not everything in the rules was totally well explained. Now, that does open the door for different tables to use different interpretations. 
I got a feel for how Larry interpreted things in this session, and now I thought that the way that he kind of divvied it up was pretty clear. I like that. You did a good job there. Yeah. But uh, that's something that I thought was also a hit to comprehension. I honestly, I, I agree with you on this, and that's something I, was, I wanted to bring up was the system for character creation and playing requires a lot less math than a lot of the, the dice-based systems like Call of Cthulhu or Dungeons & Dragons. At, on the same level, it requires a lot more reading, especially when it comes to things like the skills. They have giant skill trees where you can basically buy up these things with points very quickly, and whereas with things like Dungeons & Dragons where you acquire those skills over a long period of time, and you have a lot of time to kind of play with them and, and see how they work for you. It's a lot more varied character to character in this game to the point where I could see someone having a really hard time uh, remembering what skills they have, what they don't, because they give you a very small portion of this character sheet to write down yeah. some very complicated skills. I, I gotta be honest, I, I think I skipped over a huge portion of, of what my splicer feats were. Cause I, I, I got bonuses to those black dies like from the skills I had, I, I think I got two more of them or two less of them or I had I and I just I just didn't use them. <laughs> <laughs> I just I was just like I'm not gonna worry about this unless someone calls me on it. It almost feels like you need a separate sheet apart from your character sheet to keep track of all of your uh, different feats and talents. Which in the book, it's nice how they kind of put it where they have almost like the skill tree, and then there's like a box you can check off. However, unless everybody buys their own copy of the rule book, that's functionally useless, or you could scan the image and give it to the player. So there's there's ways around it that weren't immediately obvious, <laughs> so to speak, with something like that. So this way you can actually keep track of those sorts of things. And that's something I'm kind of thinking about in retrospect now. I think that, uh, no, I see exactly where you're coming from that, and that is just kind of further justification to me that this game takes kind of a hit on materials. Every TTRPG that I'm aware of has some form of character sheet, and this one, I think, is a decent one from a minimalist perspective. It's relatively easy to uh, find and record information on it, but I think that given your talents, as they're called in this game, are a very big part of character building and progression, the way that this system handles it is not very good. That's not a good way to keep track of them on your character sheet. So it could have had a better designed character sheet from that perspective. And then, of course, the dice. Yeah, well... Well, I think with the character sheet, at least, they wanted to try and keep it as clean as possible. I mean, without a doubt, this game gets a one in materials for me just because, like I said, the dice is always my favorite and least favorite feature. But even with the character sheet, I, I appreciate how clean it is. I do not like how minimalist it is. It's almost like you need an entire separate section to keep track of everything that's not a base skill. Moving into gameplay. Mm -hmm. Setup. <laughs> Basically none? I mean, for, for this session, we were fortunate Larry put a lot of time into this. Um, and the character creation, especially if you use a lot of the supplements, can be a absolute nightmare if i remember correctly when we did this together yes so when i ran a previous full-length campaign of this um it was about two to three hours a person for character creation 
just because there's so many options and the options are so vast. I mean, obviously you can limit that by not having any additional supplements, but if you have someone who's a big fan of the lore, they're going to be like, oh, well, why can't I be this specific odd class of bounty hunter from this rim world that was mentioned once in a comic in 1974? You know, so that stuff is there. And when you get into character creation, it ends up taking a lot longer. So that, along with, especially from a GM's perspective, thinking of what checks to use where, it's not as apparent in most games where, you know, in D&D, it'd be like, oh, well, there's a tree that's obviously a nature check. Something like this, if you want to talk to somebody and you want to try and, like, coerce them into doing something, there's three different options you can go with. There's your streetwise, there's your base cunning stat, and then your skullduggery stat on top of that. All three of those are functionally the same thing, depending on who you're talking to. Kind of going back to what I said earlier about the game not clearly differentiating certain concepts from each other. But, I, uh... I mean, but I, I feel like uh, even in D&D, it's, it's similar with, you know, you know making, making, you know, um... What, what, what am I thinking of? Um, That's a good question. Uh, the, the various charisma checks. There are a number of... Persuasion, deception, those kind of things? Oh, yeah, no, those are way more... Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're a lot more clearly defined. Yeah. Oh, I, that, I was sure what you were talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I guess they are a little bit more clearly defined. My, my apologies. I mean, <laughs> I think some of, some of what I see in this game, at least, like, if I assume that these cover the same things that the D&D skills do, it becomes clearer there. Like, charm is a persuasion analog, and, uh, what was it, coercion? It, oh, shit, never mind. <laughs> I've just proved myself wrong. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Is is they're they're all pretty much analogs of of each other. And if you, I mean, this is this is this is a modified D twenty system. At the end of the day, it's it's is it though? It really feels like it. It it's it it's got all of the you know it quacks like a duck. It walks like a duck. It it's... it might not exactly be a duck, but it's. It's I, some foul. I saw it as some variant of success based system as opposed to a D twenty system. In yeah, fact, I, I don't. I don't necessarily. I mean, the D twenty. That's 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 not. Uh, that's not fair because that that implies that it's it's. I'm I'm thinking the dice. I'm not. I'm really thinking of the the way the stats. Okay. Yeah. And, I, I, and math work. The way that the whole character process is based around is very similar to D anD. D. You have your core abilities, and then you have your more specific. Uh, trained no yeah things. exactly your skills your yeah, skills, skills. It's, uh, it, i would say that uh that's something that we can bring up a little more when we talk about classic versus innovative i one thing i want to ask larry about for setup because yeah. i haven't read through this whole book i've read bits and pieces uh i have a general gist of how it works how deep does this go into story creation in the core rulebook, it is hardly brushed upon. It's honestly highly recommended if you wanted to build your own campaign and all that. From a, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun little things that you'll get out of the core rulebook. You'll get a lot of different types of ships. You'll get a lot of different types of weapons. A lot of different types of enemies. There's a lot of things, but as far as world building goes. There's hardly anything in the core rulebook, which is why if if you were thinking about running your own campaign and you want like a little starter kind of deal, you're better off getting the beginner's kit and getting a feel for the gameplay before you actually jump into trying to do something on your own. Because as far as a starter adventure, 
what comes in the core rulebook is literally just you walk onto a space dock and you get onto a ship. Yeah, I only bring it up because it's one of the biggest parts of setup for most of these games. It usually tends to be the part that no one really sees very often except the person who runs it is, how much work did I put in to make this story happen? And I know they come with supplements for their own adventures, but, I mean... Yeah, that's why I was... For setup, I was honestly tossing between a 1 and a 2 just because of the fact that it, I'm familiar with the system, so it wasn't as much of a struggle, and I'm familiar with the lore, so it wasn't as much of a struggle. But someone who's not, it's it's very, very bare bones what you actually get out of the core rulebook. Yeah, so for me, setup, I, I gave it a 1. I was a little critical, but I don't really think that critical, honestly. Yeah. I mean, as far as character creation goes, it isn't exactly epithet erased. Don't get me started. <laughs> we but, bring that. We also every every recording session we bring up that game. Uh, it needs to happen at some point. Well, I'm glad that I can be. <laughs> next session. Next session. But uh, I'm just saying, it's not the worst out there. It's definitely not the best, but it's not the worst. Yeah. It's. Uh, are we ready for rate of play? I personally am. Yeah. Yeah. I I I give it a three for rate of play. I think that. Uh, this particular system doesn't have a lot of the in-game bloat that causes it to slow down a lot. Because I, I think that once you get into the dice checks, they're very consistent. It's always the same, essentially, formula whenever you build your checks, so you don't really have to worry about figuring out what's what. Uh, we never really ran into a circumstance where we had to keep track of all of our abilities, or at least we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we got through everything with uh, more or less ingenuity and you know, the uh, you know, uh, duct tape that we came with kind of thing. Yeah. So, And I think that Larry did a good job of keeping things moving. It was you know, clear-cut enough and yet open enough for us to deal with it. But it's kind of like one of those things where the rate of play is going to somewhat be determined mm -hmm. on the players and the GM themselves. That... Uh, in any TTRPG, you'll get somebody like me who wants to say, um, DM, you're doing that wrong, and then leads to a half-hour argument about it. Uh, I mean, that's part of the delay of a TTRPG, is yeah. getting to argue with the GM. I, I try to limit that personally, but I know that it happens, and I'm not always the best about it. Uh, but So yeah, I'd, I'd say that as far as the system goes, it supports a good clip of play if you can you know, avoid the you know, standard traps. Yeah, it's, it does seem to put a lot of power into the Game Master's hands, and I feel like, if it, for that reason, the pacing moves along very quickly. Uh, it's You don't really usually get caught up in a situation unless the players are stuck on what they want to do. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I did feel like at, at certain points, um, it, it did feel a little, um, a, a little fast, but it might have been just a personal thing. I know that I, some of us were also on the clock going like, come on. <laughs> yeah, true. True that. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I gave it uh, a two overall for rate of play. Um, it was it was very enjoyable, and I... Uh, yeah, yeah. For, for rate of play, at least coming from like my perspective as the person who is running the game, I do really like that it's... It's very open, but it's also very easy to railroad your players to be like, listen, this is what you should do, and this is how you're going to get it done. If you have any other ideas to do it, certainly go for it, but I feel like there's 
there's a very easy overarching way that the skills work that there's not a lot of room for interpretation, you know, in terms of at least like when you shouldn't, shouldn't use them. Yeah, I gave it a pretty good rate of play. I, I felt it was pretty smooth overall. So, quick discussion. Price. Uh, the price for the core rulebook, it's about average. I'm personally not happy with it, being $60. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's about average for a book its size. Yeah, but on, on top of the core... giant book. I mean, on top of the core rulebook, you're going to need dice per person to play. Exactly. You know, well, given how many of us just used a free app to kind of bypass that. This is true. Um, you didn't hear that fantasy flight. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. I... It wasn't an illegal app, just a free one. <laughs> I mean, there are free options. Um, I'm sure it, for, for the true experience of the game, um, you know, dice in hand, uh, it's it's going to cost a, some money for an investment in this. And I gave it a one because of that. I, this, this is definitely an investment in less of a game. Yeah, the way that I looked at it, like, unlike... Uh, I know that, Larry, you definitely talked about how the book includes a lot and world building really isn't one of those things uh, i know that kind of D is sort of the gold standard of ttrpgs or at least kind of the world of warcraft against whom everybody gets compared regardless if they're better or worse yeah. uh, but now considering the material investment of the books themselves i'd say that it's more or less equivalent and uh i know that there's a lot of extra things that you'd want to pick up for uh now both games so i kind of I kind of gave it a two as kind of it's it's up there with most of the other options of its t- kind, so to speak. On on the topic of of D anD D being the source material, I do want to say I D anD D also does to a certain extent now kind of require you to buy a number of of expansion books to to get the the full game, and it it used to be, and I mean it's it's been this way for a while, but. The, the player's handbook has gotten less and less. They, they've stopped releasing, you know, expansions to the player's handbook. Uh, and instead, they've opted to just introduce races in, in newer source material. So after a while, I, I don't think it's a good thing. That's not what's on, you know, we're grading today. Um, <laughs> one day. One day. One day. When we're busy. I, I will say for Tackle price. Tackle that beast eventually. I, I gave it a two. As, as Larry said, it's a pretty standard price for tabletop game books. A, a standard that has definitely been set by Wizards of the Coast. Which, fun fact, uh, this kind of game, uh, they, Wizards of the Coast used to make a Star Wars RPG. And when they stopped making it, Fantasy Flight was like, oh, well, hey, Lucas, we'll make it for you. So I have to wonder if a lot of this isn't based on the fact that it because it, it looks very similar to the Wizards of the Coast system because I think it is meant to be similar to the Wizards of the Coast system. Now the Wizard of the Coast system I will say was a D twenty system I had played it prior and I'm rather glad this one isn't just because you know I've already made my opinions on D twenty systems clear I think. Oh yeah no I just meant as far as like pricing and releasing the various types of books also and all that kind of stuff yeah, it, so. they followed their guidelines for how they create content shall we move on to community then yeah yeah definitely so i i looked into this uh quite a bit i was looking at various forums online uh games like this where it's based off of a um a a theme like a a, a established ip yeah established ip they tend to fade away pretty quick especially when disney comes around buys the ip and changes everything (laughs) 
Well, yeah. That that had to come up in this discussion at some point. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I brought it up in the stream as well that this is no longer the official canon, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Which, in in a way, is kind of fortunate because you can kind of do whatever you want to do with the setting. Uh, yeah, but as far as the community goes... I looked at the, the the main Reddit post channel and I was like, oh, I see the best content or posts was from two years ago. Let's refresh that. Or the newest posts, also two years ago. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a flash in the pan for people who wanted to try out a new style of RPG. I mean, it, it's always going to have its dedicated fans, mm-hmm. but those people aren't really interacting with the community anymore, so to speak. The community is essentially kind of fizzled out. There are some forums where you can go and ask questions and look for groups to play with. And they post every few months, as far as I can tell. But as far as the main community, I, I gave it a 1 only because at, at one point this probably would have had a higher score. But it definitely hasn't had a, a continuous fan base like some other games do. I've, I have definitely heard people talk about Edge of the Empire. Um, not just you, Ian. Um, but it, it's, it's always sort of the same thing. Where it's like, oh, I've, I've, I used to play that, or I've, I've heard about it. It's there's, there's very little. Um, it seems like active interest in in participating in, in a, a larger community, like there are with some other TTRPGs, like you were saying. Um, then again, yeah, I, I, I think it, it's a one for me too, dog. <laughs> yeah, I also gave it a one. Unfortunately, extras. My <laughs> goodness. <laughs> If there were anyone to compete with 5th edition for extras, it might be Fantasy Flight Games. Yes. 100%. Back out of 3 off the bat. Even if you go to their website now with a lot of out-of-print material, it's still just a absurdly long list of content. And that's not even delving into community support as well. I mean, as you said, the community died off, but all of those old files are still there. So all the people who, you know, would upload their own homebrew styles or their own homebrew characters or anything like that, obviously people went rabid when they heard that there was a Star Wars RPG. Mm-hmm. I will I'll list off uh, what we got here. So multiple sets of dice, a GM kit, a beginner's kit, eight rule supplement books, three adventure books, and there are also the two other games that I mentioned in the intro. Um, the Age of Rebellion, yeah, Age of Rebellion, and the Force, Force of Destiny. Destiny, which don't they're different games. Uh, they're separate games, but you can in the in a story move a character over from one to the other, and they have their own supplements. You could run a session like this for a very long time and keep a, a player group for easily years with the content that they have available. So we can talk about that totally more in replay value. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So enjoyment. Oh, three for me all the way. I love this game. Yeah, I, 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 I've already fallen in love with this. This is, it, I, and I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. Like, I, I, I appreciate the IP. I, I watch the movies. I, I, you know, enjoy the memes. Um, <laughs> but like, this is fun. This is really fun. Uh, I might not know all of the reference material, but at, at the same time, I can kind of using context clues, you know, understand what's going on, and yeah. Now, I will say that now I really enjoyed the session we played today. I do want to talk briefly about the force point system that uh, we cut for today's session. Yes. Not going to complain about that. The way that I understood it back when I played this years ago, 
I really liked some of the context there, where it seemed kind of, uh, in one of its uses, it was a freeform way of the players to interact with the setting in a way that gave them a little bit more power over the setting than a traditional TTRPG allows. I remember just one, like, vividly one example, like, if you're now inside in the middle of a uh, firefight, you could uh, spend a force point to find a convenient table to hide behind. Yes. And given that the setting is written with kind of theater of the mind in, in mind, then it allows the players to help flesh out the details of the setting and kind of take some of that burden off the GM to provide that information at their own whim. Yeah, that's that's something that I also really enjoyed with it. Like I said, I, I wanted to cut it from this just because it felt like one more thing we would have to go over. And since it wasn't going to be a very combat-heavy scenario, I didn't think that we'd really run into any situations. I mean, it can be used outside of combat as well. So, like, let's say you're searching for some sort of key card to get into a building. You can find a convenient clue laying around or something like that. It's almost like if you took the luck stat from a lot of different games and kind of gave it more of a purpose. More flavor yeah. than just, oh, Cool, you lucked yeah, out. It's did I roll good? It's not anything like that. It's more of a and Call of Cthulhu does the same thing where you'll get a static luck pool that you can pull from to adjust your values for what you rolled, and it's it's a little bit like that, but it's more of a group decision. I also like the fact that uh, the force point system flips between light and dark force side points, where the GM can use dark force side points in order to. Uh, Prevent. Throw disadvantages or snags at the players the same way the players can use light force side points to give themselves advantages or you no know, other things. And you know, it was definitely designed to be a system that is dynamic that you use uh, fairly frequently where the force points are continually changing back and forth between the two. So I, I thought that was an aspect of the system that I really did enjoy that just didn't get featured today. But again, I think that kind of playing at the rate of play and the uh, the breadth of the characters that you can make, uh, yeah, I think it's really fun. I gave it a three. Yeah, same. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think three's all, all really around. This. Yeah, yeah. So does that mean everyone would also give it a three for recommendation? No, <laughs> I also hit a speed bump there. Yeah, I uh, I gave it a two. Um, and I I this is definitely a talking point I wanted to hit. Thank you, Ian. Uh, I would not recommend this to somebody who was not already pretty involved with the Star Wars IP. I I enjoy tabletops, and I especially enjoy fantasy tabletops. I think I'll get my like I can get my fix from this game. Um, if that weren't the case, I don't know how jazzed or enthused I would be on on something like this. Like I I stated earlier, I'm not super into. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not super into to uh, Star Wars, and, and I, I don't know if I would be super into this. I still think it's a great system. I I still think that, you know, with the right group, a lot of people can get enjoyment out of this. But I I don't think this is necessarily for everybody. I think that if you were interested in a space sci-fi fantasy type adventure. This could definitely scratch that itch whether or not you care all that much about Star Wars. However, I agree with you. I think that the people who would really enjoy this the most are people who are already drawn to the setting. 
And I think that kind of the game itself is built around that. So if you're not a Star Wars fan, you're not going to find a lot of what you want here. Yeah, I also ended up rating it at a 2 because of that. Because if you enjoy the IP, or if you enjoy even... If you're looking for a different kind of system to run, you don't necessarily have to use all the Star Wars lore to run a session. But if if you're not familiar with the system, or if especially if you're going in blind as a whole group, I would not recommend trying to start this up. Like I can only imagine the community when they first started and the <laughs> the comprehension of the rule book. It it could have just been an absolute lawless wasteland of interpretation. I was. I did give it a three. I personally would recommend this mostly out of a personal wish to have more people to play it with. I would say that if somebody can get into the game, I'm cer- I'm certain that they would enjoy it, could enjoy it, without necessarily caring about Star Wars. I do think that that is a slight barrier to entry, and that people who don't care about Star Wars could easily find other things they're looking for elsewhere. However, uh, t- thinking of our missing players right now, or t- <laughs> no, Brooke That's and fair. Chris... Well, they were gracious enough to bow out and allow me a chance to be here, which I appreciate, and thanks so much. I would say that you guys would enjoy this. I'm certain that if you were able to kind of get past some of the initial hurtfuls, you would have a good time with it. You know, and the rest of you out there, too. <laughs> Everybody else who listens. All three of you. <laughs> hey, man, we make it five out of and this. And Brazil. <laughs> yeah, Brazil, somehow. Shout out to Brazil. And and those two Aussies. No. Yeah. If only we'd recorded the uh, hilarity of you know eating Japanese snacks beforehand, we'd get so many more views. Oh, that that will happen. <laughs> yeah, that's soon, that's soon. that's a really good goal. And we could do two cuts. We could do you know a tasting and an ASMR <laughs> session because who doesn't want that? I mean, we just have two separate mics. Yeah, exactly. We just cut one in and out. But uh, we're going on to replay value, I think, right now. I, I gave that a three. Yeah. yeah three. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean. <laughs> From from the GM's perspective, the the amount of thought that goes into it, it, it does become a little exhausting. I really wanted to give it a three because I love this game to death, but I had to give it a two just because if you're not using a pre-built adventure, once again, going back to the accessibility, it can get a little tough. And it could get exhausting, especially running it session after session after session. From a player's perspective, this would have been a four out of three for me because of the setting, the way everything works, all that. But from the the other side of that table, I would end up giving it a two. So you'd say it's probably a little unfair to the uh, it, it is GM as opposed to the players enjoying it. Exactly. Yeah, I understand. Hmm. It's an interesting perspective, and I thank you for sharing that. It's, uh, it's definitely something to consider as somebody who has been a GM. And I know that burnout is a real issue. Ian knows that burnout is a real issue. Oh, I felt burnout hard. So, (laughs) same here. As far as classic versus innovative, I gave this a two in classic. I feel that, and the reason being is because the system itself is is unique to fantasy flight games, but it's their very much tried and true system. (laughs) Yeah, I ended up giving it a one over towards the innovative side because of that. Because yes, it is. It's their system. All of their games use it. However, it's not a system that you really see elsewhere. That's fair. I agreed with Larry on a lot of that. I gave it a one in the innovative category, mostly because looking at the construction of it, I think they tried to be innovative and kind of failed. At least 
all of the elements of the system are things that other people have done and in other ways that were equal to or better what they did. At, I think the dice are frequently held up as the biggest aspect, and we've talked about those to death already. But, <laughs> no, honestly, it was kind of hard to rate it, I think, because the elements are put together in a way that I think they wanted to be new but just wasn't. I don't think that it really, you know, detracted from my enjoyment, however. So, uh, I will say with the dice system, the fact that they put it on their own little dice itself is unique, but I play a lot of tabletop games that do have a success-based system. Even just uh, Escape Jurassic Park, which I played a little before, very simple game, and it's just based on, well, you roll an X amount of D6, and if you get X amount, it's a success. They added a few more players into it, but it's a very simple system, in my opinion, for a tabletop game to be a success-based system. It's a good system. I like it. I like Jurassic Park. I like this. But I wouldn't call it unique just because they made some color dice. <laughs> but, I mean, in, in, once again, it is innovative to do it in that way. I just feel like that type of system has been has been done. Yeah. I mean, coming from that, a lot of the other RPGs that I've seen that have used a, uh, a unique dice system or a success-based dice system, they don't really go as in-depth as Fantasy Flight did with their RPGs. Usually it'll be like a D6, or like a D6 and a D10, and depending on, like, it'll either be custom symbols, or it'll be like, oh, roll higher than a 4, and then you succeed, and if you roll a 3 or less, you fail, you know? Yeah, but that that going in-depth in that dice system is kind of the whole issue it's... we're having with going back and forth on is this a good dice system or not. I mean, it shows that just because something's innovative doesn't mean that it's a good idea. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> is really what it, it comes down to, is that, yes, it's it's a little bit more of an in-depth idea than what you'd see for a success-based system, but it's also horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say that obviously a lot of development went into it, and just from a cursory glance, I can tell that the mathematics behind how they determined success was very intricate here. And in a way that obscures the probabilities that they came up with from the casual player. And I think that that is very interesting in and of itself for determining, like, what constitutes success. How often are you going to succeed? What's the range of possibilities? How often are they going to happen? All of that's really interesting to look at. But clearly that was a lot of the development, and it just kind of fell flat. But I, I mean... Seeing that level of attention to detail, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I don't want to to stick on the dice for much longer because mm-hmm. we've just continually talked about them all game. We um, bash them into the ground. <laughs> but I, 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 I did like the. I do like the concept of the dice. I think they were executed poorly, but even in execution, you can tell there was a lot of time and attention to detail to making sure it was balanced. And it was, it was thought out. It was not just thrown in there because they wanted to put dice in. And I think I think the, the decisions they made, albeit maybe not the best uh, um, overall, they, they were made for a reason. And, I, I, and for that alone, I, I gave it a two. You, you can tell these choices were made, and they were made for a reason, and they were thought out. The actions of which were not probably what they were looking for, but... <laughs> They were they were definitely thought out actions. Uh, honestly, the more I think about it, the less I hate the dice. <laughs> I'll say that, but uh, 
in the interests of getting a different conversation going, I'll leave it at that. Well, I mean, speaking of good intentions in, in game design, I, I gave it a complex two. I feel like they had a lot of work put into it. I liked most of it. I feel like there are definitely areas where they could improve on it. Like, I, I really don't like skill trees. I don't. <laughs> um, it's a personal peeve of mine. They get complicated and messy when you're working with um, multiple classes that each have their own individual skill tree. If you're trying to run a session like that and you have to keep those kinds of things in mind on a character, it's hard enough in D&D when the feats and everything are mostly set. It's a whole other beast when you have four different classes, each with its own subclass, and each subclass has their own skill tree that can be chosen at any given point depending on how many points you put into each tree. Yeah. Crazy. And you can get more trees, mind you. Yeah. Yes. From other classes yeah. if you want. So. See, I like the skill tree if it was easier for it to be player-governed. That's my thing. Is yeah. that, like, if I didn't have to keep track of it as the GM, I think it's awesome. It gives a lot of player agency. They're able to kind of choose their own path, and they can flesh out their character, especially for people with not such a creative mind. It's a very good thing. It's just that the management of it is poorly executed. And I, I wouldn't expect Fantasy Flight to ship a packet of every skill tree available separately so players can mark it down. Like, put it in the book, cool, Xerox that thing, man, and just, like, hand it out to wh whoever wants it. But managing that is tough. So it, it did bring up the complexity a little bit for me. But I, I, I think on that topic, um, a, a lot of, uh, you know, TTRPGs that have, you know, complex sheets or, or you know, anything that they expect the, the player to have to scan off, they put it at the back of the book where it's easy to scan. Yeah. This was in the center <laughs> of the book. They were just like, no, you're not scanning this. You're just buying a new book. Every time you want to make a new character, that's $60 right there, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that bread. Yeah, I, I gave it a complex one. Honestly, I can't really remember why. But it's, it's a complex game. It's one that you have to really devote time to learning in order to get it to function at the level of smooth that you want it to. Uh, and uh, for that reason, I gave it a complex too. Uh, I feel like if you learn this game, sat down and dedicated the time, um, it is entirely within grasp to understand it, play it, and and be able to do it within a relatively short period of time. Yeah. I, 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 40K, I have been playing for many years and I still am kind of fuzzy on a lot of rules. That's not a that's that's just not very well you know thought out. Hovering um, from cover. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> also, I play Tau. Aren't, that's all aren't I know. The, uh, <laughs> aren't the 40k rule books kind of terrible? Just <laughs> yes. That's a that's a different discussion. That's, yes. <laughs> I dread having to do 40k on this podcast. That's why we'll get it done. I I said just once one a year. Just give me one a year. Dude, I, I got so many better miniatures games. We don't have to do 40k. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to play 40k. We can tell you what, we could play 40k different times. <laughs> Don't like, do that to these poor people. Honestly, it'd take an entire day to do that podcast. Yeah. It'd have to be three months of work. Well, it's going to be two days just explaining what each faction specializes in, and then another six hours for the first round of fire. I might, I might <laughs> just yep. hand that one off to Will. For him to oh, that, no, that's my job. Yeah. That's this, you know, Edge of Empire to you. This is me. <laughs> I, I, I said, one a year, man. I get one call out. This is it. Chris and Brooke are going to be livid.
All right. So yeah, I, f- I feel like the choices that I made didn't highlight as much uh, how much I actually like the game. Where I g- I gave it choices that ended up getting a twenty seven out of forty two for me. That's not too far off. I ended up with a twenty eight out of forty two. Yeah, oddly enough, I ended up with a twenty seven out of forty two. Despite how highly I praise this game, when I actually look at the breakdown, it scores a lot lower than I expected it to. I, I gave it a 30 overall. I feel like I put a lot of personal uh, thought into the like, recommendation and everything. Yeah. As far as a score, though, um, 30 is really not bad. Yeah. Like, it, that's that's definitely like a B. Yeah. Uh, I know it sounds low because it's it's less than a quarter uh, off the, the, the highest score. I've never seen a game get a 40. I, no. But yeah, as far as, as, far as closing comments go, as low as this scored, it's still a game that I love. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like our overall score is a 28, which really does put it up there with some of the best games we've created, honestly. One day, maybe we'll find the perfect game, but I, I very much doubt it. <laughs> well, if we did, we'd never stop playing it. Yeah. 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 yeah the grading system is, is meant to be more reminiscent of the, the, the scores that lead up to it as opposed to the total score. Yeah. Of course, you know, everyone always likes to get that perfect game. But... Nobody does. No. <laughs> It's going to be really hard. Listen, man, Some I of tried. these categories are like mutually exclusive almost. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they kind of are. But we, we're not good at making rubrics. Yeah. Like, this is the simplest game ever that is also the most complex game ever that has infinite replay value but is so simple. <laughs> Crazy eights. It, also it takes the... no setup. <laughs> Crazy eights. <laughs> <laughs> it takes no setup except for reading 800 pages of monotonous lore that you may or may not be interested in but other than that you just jump right in and go yes. My, i mean but I, I, there are eight page ttrbg books yeah i know and they're horrible for the most part hey hey, hey for the hey, most hey. part okay oh, crash pandas was fun listen man i'm still personally butthurt over the sea of thieves tabletop rpg sea, i've sea tried thieves is bad Wait, just in what? general <laughs> Listen, the game itself is wonderful, and I'm, right. I'm, don't make me hijack it's your podcast. Right. I've played that game for five years. We don't do this to me. I've played that game right. for years, too. I'm going I learned to, say to play the hurdy-gurdy because of that game. Like, I am a pirate at heart. Don't do this to me. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Dancing with the Bards. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to follow us on social media. You can find us at Dance with Bards on Twitter. And don't forget to follow us on with Bards on Twitch to join us for Sunday streams. And don't forget, may the fourth be with you. Dun, 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 dun,